0: Alright, so I have a statement today. I want to start off to get us into this talk. And here's the statement. It is impossible to have a meaningful relationship with someone from whom you're only trying to get something. Agree or disagree? Agree, because if you don't, I'm about to waste that. But anyway, you're going to agree with that statement, right? Because think about your children. You've been gone for a long time, and you come home. My children are grown, so praise God they don't do this. There would be a problem if they still did this. But when we were younger, and we would leave, we'd come in. They weren't happy to see us. You know what the first question was? What'd you bring me? Me. And that was never enough, right? Then you say, no, really, we brought you this. And they're like, yes, and they run off. And then maybe later they want to hang out with you. But right then, they just want to know, what did you get me? Now, hopefully, as they grow older, my kids have. Rachel and Matt came over last night just to hang out with us. We're like, what are y'all doing in town? They said, believe it or not, we drove up here to see you. We're like, oh, that's so (laughs) sweet. That's awesome because, I mean, you know, Lowe's is just down the road from us. So sometimes they go to Lowe's and they'll come see us or Whataburger because they don't have a place to get their burger in uh, in Elkhart. So they'll come to Whataburger and they'll come. But last night, they just came to see us and it was awesome. A self-centered person will rob you of everything that you have and never think twice about it. They always have an agenda, and that agenda is themselves. And so marriages fail because of this statement. Churches fail. Small groups fail. Businesses fail. Relationships fail because it is impossible to have a meaningful relationship with someone who is only trying to get something from you. I've lost count of the number of people who have told me over 37 years that I've been in ministry that, that... I quit going to church because I wasn't getting anything out of it. Here's a news flash. You got out of it exactly what you put into it. Exactly what you put into it. God looked down on the earth and he said, what the earth needs is my son. He ne- they need me. And people who call themselves Christians have been saying, that's not enough. Jesus, you're not enough. You need to do these things for me. You're not enough. They view, they view God as a vending machine. I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. But I don't want to put any money in. I don't want it to cost me anything. You just need to meet my needs, God, or I'm walking away from you. God says, I'm, I'm all you need. So, so if, this, if this statement, if this is lost, it's meaning. Go to the next one. The Word became flesh. Jesus, in case you don't know what that means, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If this is lost, its impact in your life. If, if this no longer makes your heart beat a little faster and draws you towards a the Savior, then today's message is for you. So please, please pay attention today. We're looking at John's eyewitness testimony of his three plus years, walking around with Jesus, talking, living with Jesus, watching what he's, he did, listening to what he said, seeing all the things he did. And so we're in week four of our series, and, and this is eyewitness testimony. What G, what John saw and what he heard convinced him that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And he wrote it all down, not for our information. He wrote it down so that you might believe and you might have life in the name of Jesus Christ. So John has this this um, this. Letter We call it, it's a document in the New Testament that centers around seven signs. And I found, I found this, um, this graphic and we're gonna use this the rest of the time. So I thought this was good. The seven signs in John. So this first one over here on the left is he turned water into wine. Where did he do that? What was the town? Cana, right? So he comes up to Cana. It's an obscure town. There's nothing there today. If we get to go, we're gonna see a few ruins, but there's no town there today. He turned water into wine. The second one is right here. Y'all remember that? He healed the the royal official's son. Where did he do that? In Cana. I don't know why he chose to do it in Cana, but he did it there. From 20 miles away, he heals the royal official's son who was dying. And as he goes back to Capernaum, the servants come and they say, your son's living. And he said, when did did he get well? At 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was the exact time Jesus said, go, your son will live. Last week, we looked at this one. You remember that one? The healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. In the shadow of the temple... Right right outside the sheep gate, Jesus comes in, picks out one guy who'd been there for 38 years. He says, pick up your mat and walk. Gave him an impossible command, and he did it. And he goes to the temple, and he gets, he gets criticized because he's walking in the temple. Today, we're going to talk about probably the, the most famous of all the miracles. It's the feeding of the 5,000 plus. I want you to put that on there. The feeding of the what? 5,000 plus. We'll talk about the plus in just a minute. And I want you to pay close attention because by the time we finish with this sign, the majority, the crowd is going to be asking Jesus, what more can you give me? I need more. The the miracle of feeding 5,000 plus was not enough. Give me more. Give me more. It's what the crowd always does. So pay attention to all that. So let me give you a map and show you where we are. All right. Go ahead to the map. There we go. Uh, do the, do, I'm sorry, do the picture first. So this is the Sea of Galilee. And, and just let me kind of explain. Right here is Tiberias. You can't really tell, but it's on a mountain. And Tiberius is where we're going to go for four days when we go to Israel this summer. The Sea of Galilee is one of my favorite places because Jesus spent most of his time there. Up here, where you see these lions coming from, that's Capernaum. That was his adopted hometown. You remember he didn't do a whole lot in Nazareth because they didn't have any faith. So Jesus does a lot of ministry here. There's this great trade route Everybody in the civilized world, if they were on the, the ground going from Egypt to Mesopotamia and those types of areas, they came right through here. Unbelievable city life that was going on there. Now, these lines represent places that Jesus regularly went in a boat. So he'd be in Capernaum and it says, Jesus got in a boat and he went to a certain, certain place. Okay, <clears throat> so now next picture, please. The maps, I'm sorry. Okay, so here we are, Sea of Galilee. You see all these mountains around here. Jesus has just come back from Jerusalem, and so he he goes somewhere. We think it's over here. See, Bethsaida, that's going to come up here in a minute. But if you see this area, he went out into a wilderness area, and crowds followed him there. So let's pick up the story in John chapter 6. Sometime after this, after he healed the the lame man outside the sheep gate uh, in Jerusalem, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee... And the parentheses are actually in the scripture. That is the Sea of Tiberias. So it was called Lake Gennesaret. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias, depending on whether you were Roman or Jewish or Gentile. And a great crowd of people followed him because of blind faith. No, it's right here. Because they saw the signs. Everybody was seeing the miracles that Jesus was doing, and everybody wanted to get a piece of him. They saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So you saw that area that I circled right there next to Bethsaida. It's out in the middle of nowhere. There are no towns to this day. There are no towns there. Jesus, we don't know why he went to this wilderness area, but maybe it's because John the Baptist has just been beheaded. That radically impacted Jesus. And so they go out and he's hanging out with his disciples and they're going to just probably just have some solitude, just some, some let's heal, let's spend some time in the presence of God. But the paparazzi was already there. They knew Jesus was coming. They watched him get into boats. They would run ahead. They would get into boats. They would follow him. And so Jesus turns around, and he looks, and here comes this huge crowd. Now, what this made me think of, one of my favorite memes. Did I put that in there? Please tell me. Oh, yes, I put that in there. One of my favorite memes on Facebook is this one, Yoda. Now that I have children, I really understand the scene in Return of the Jedi where Yoda is so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just up and dies. Just take me, right? I kind of think that's what happened with Jesus and the disciples here. They're in the wilderness to try to get away, and crowds come. Look what it says in verse 3. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. You ever been so tired? Just like, I got to sit down a minute. Give me a break, kids, right? It's been a long time since I've done that, but we have watched Waylon. Waylon's four, and he's good at it. You should have seen him at soccer yesterday. Played his first soccer game. Dude didn't have a clue where the ball was. He's running around. At one point, he takes his jersey, puts it over his head, and just starts running around. It was <laughs> awesome. He's good at being four. We, had some, we were laughing so hard. We're, we're falling out of our chairs. Jesus and his disciples see this crowd coming. We're trying to get away from you guys, and they sit down. It says, he went with his disciples up on the mountainside, sat down. And now this interesting little fact, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, you need to know this because later in the story, this is going to come back up. So in, in order for you to know what this means, let me just tell you, the Jewish Passover was the celebration of God delivering the Israelites from Egypt over a thousand years before Jesus lived, right? They celebrated every year the Passover. God led them out from Egypt. And so Passover was this annual reminder that, that the Jews could really use another Moses Because now it's not the Egyptians that are holding them in bondage. It's the Romans. God had given them this land. It's called the promised land. They were living there, but the Romans were in charge. It was a conquered land. It was an occupied land. And they really, really, really wanted God to send them another Moses to throw the Romans off of their land. And we're told there were 5,000 men. Now, this is the only... Miracle that is in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's that significant. And if you study all four accounts, you'll get different details. So in Matthew and Mark, we're told five thousand men. Matthew actually says, not counting the women and children, right? So we know there's more than five thousand. We know there's at least one boy because he's gonna give us lunch here in a minute, so let's just assume that there's one child per every 5,000 men, that gets us up to 10,000. And let's assume there's one woman for every man, that gets us up to 15,000. There could have been as many as 20,000 people. When you're sitting on a mountain in Jerusalem and 20,000 people are coming, it's like a bunch of locusts or a bunch of ants coming to join your picnic. And they sit down and they're like, oh, no. And, and I, th- I think the disciples are like, really? Really? We need a break. Jesus knew they were coming, though. And he knew why they were coming. And he knows that they were very much like you and me. Because they wanted something from him. That's why he came. They were more interested in the signs than they were in the one performing the signs. And I believe it's because of this. Signs don't addict you to the Savior, signs addict you to more signs. And we're going to see that here in a minute. Just give us another one, just give us another one, and we'll believe. They wanted another event they could tweet about. They totally missed the point that the miracle, the sign, pointed to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. That's why he did the sign. Now, you need to understand, they're sitting on the mountain. Here come the crowds. No one had mentioned anything about lunch. No one had mentioned anything about feeding anyone. And Jesus turns to one of his disciples, totally catches him off guard when he says this in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people? Philip was from Bethsaida. I showed you Bethsaida just a second ago. Well, they're, they're a good walk from Bethsaida. And he's like, hey, Philip, you think Island Burgers has enough bread for these people? Maybe we can call Lulu and Cakes, and they'll, they'll whip out 20,000 cupcakes for us and, and ask Ryan if he delivers to the wilderness outside of Bethsaida. <laughs> Feeding people had never been part of the program before. This was just another crowd of needy people that wanted something from Jesus. And the disciples were like, just do, this, do your stuff and send them on their way. But here's what you need to know. For the disciples, this was a test. But for Jesus, this was just life as usual. He was always doing what his father did. The disciples took their eyes off of Jesus, put them on the crowd and said, oh, no, again? Feed people. Since when do we feed people? I think is what Philip's thinking. Just heal them. All right, get it over with. And I love to think of Jesus smiling in this situation because he wasn't looking for information. He doesn't want your opinion. When you're Lord, capital L, when you're King of Kings, Lord of Lords, when you're God of the universe, you don't need humans' opinions. He's not asking for information. Look what it says in verse 6. He asked this only to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus doesn't ask for your advice. Now, Mark tells us at this point, Jesus gives them an impossible command. There's no place, there's nobody open. We can't get food. You give them something to eat. Last week, he told the the lame man, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Impossible command. But the power was in the command, not in the person. It's not in the disciples here. It's in Jesus who already knew what he was going to do. And here's what I want you to know. God doesn't bypass his people when doing his work. So, Matt comes to me. My son-in-law, Matt, comes to me the other day and he said, Hey, when are we going to do the next Be the Church? And I said, Well, we talked about doing one this spring. And he said, I'd like for us to go out to Elkhart. And he just starts, he just starts talking about this. And the more he talked to him, I thought, Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's try to get some churches in Elkhart involved. And let's go out and let's do a project and let's do some stuff. And, and then it was I, I was studying for this sermon. Then it was as if the Lord said, You give them something to eat. And so, whenever we go out there, we're looking later in April, going out there on a Saturday and just doing some work projects, I want to have a big old barbecue. In another church's parking lot And we're not going to wear anything that shows our name We're going we're gonna to point people to whatever church We we get permission to use their parking lot And I want to give food to everybody In the neighborhood that we're going to Help that day Can you imagine going out there And just knocking on doors and say, Here's a bag of food and oh by the way There's barbecue up there at that church's parking lot And if you don't have a church to go to Why don't you go to that church this Sunday Tomorrow morning You think God might like that? God doesn't bypass you. And some of you are going, some of our board members are going, how much is that going to cost? What does it matter if the command was from Jesus? Now, if it's from Doug, (laughs) it matters. (laughs) And if it's from Doug, you'll hear about it. The Sunday after, we are forming a search committee for our new pastor. (laughs) The power is in the command, not in... Not in the person receiving the command. Philip was from this area. Where can we get food? Nowhere. Not only that, he did the math. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. 200 days of, of daily wages, Lord, and not everybody's going to get a bite. Now, I love this. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew. And so we only hear about Andrew like three times in the scripture. And every time you hear about him, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And his most famous thing is he's he's Simon Peter's brother. Peter's the most famous of them all, and and he's the the brother. But every time you see him, he's bringing somebody. First time, he brought Simon Peter to Jesus. This time, he brings a little boy. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. This was the lunch of the poor. And he's like, okay, here's this kid. But what's that going to do? How far will that go among so many? And here's the point. So, so whenever we, we open up the scripture, we always want to look at the context. What's going on in the Jewish world? But if we leave it in the Jew, Jewish world, it's a history lesson. We need to always pull out the timeless principle. And here's the timeless principle of this little boy. That which we keep in our hands, we lose. Whatever you put in Jesus' hands, you keep. Jesus said, if you try to hold on to your life, You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the gospel, Jesus guarantees you're going to keep it, and it's going to impact eternity. I want to give my life for eternity. Jesus said, half the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, about 5,000 men. So the interesting thing about this is 5,000 is the exact number of a Roman legion. It could be more than that, but you had to have at least 5,000 soldiers to have a legion. So... There's an army of men at Jesus' feet, but nobody knows what's going on except 12 men, his disciples, the boy, and maybe the people down front. If you go with us and we go where he he, uh, did the Sermon on the Mount and maybe even where, they don't know for sure where he did the feeding of the 5,000. We just know it's in that area. But you think about having 5,000 or 20,000 people out there, only the people up front are going to see what's going on. Look what happens. Jesus then took the loaves and the first thing he did was give thanks. The son of God said, thank you, Lord, for the the lunch of a poor boy that you're about to do extraordinary things with. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. Okay, I decided to try to think what this is like. I got me a, a hard roll and a goldfish. Thank you, Lord, for this hard roll and this goldfish that's about to feed this crowd. How many of you think that's going to work? I'm not going to try it, by the way, because I'm not God's son. I know him. I work for him. But I'm not going to try that because it'd be a trick. It'd be something that, oh, look at me. He took this and fed about 20,000 people as much as they wanted (laughs) forget that spaghetti in the living room don't you want some of that Aaron Yeah. (laughs) have at it bro I did not plan that but I saw you sitting over (laughs) Jesus acts like the food trucks are about to rumble out of Waco now just imagine we got 20,000 people on our hill going back down the hill and we bring all the food trucks up and we say y'all just sit down and we're going to serve you. How long would it take to serve everybody a bite? Much less serve them however much they wanted till they ate their fill. How long? Hours. Hours. <laughs> you know his disciples are going. God, how much do you people eat? Verse twelve. When they had all had enough to eat, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago in cold case Christianity, Jay Warner Wallace is a homicide detective, and he's applied his detective skills, cold case detective skills, to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he said there's so much evidence. He was an atheist, and he was going to disprove it by his skills. He becomes a believer in Christ. He said there's so much evidence that these were written by eyewitness um, people. And he said if you if you believe that the, the eyewitness was there, and if you believe the eyewitness was credible, you're instructed by a judge to believe the eyewitness. And so he becomes a believer. And he said, he said, If God created the universe, and then these are his words, lesser miracles like healing a blind man, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, or walking on water, or feeding 5,000 plus, those are lesser miracles compared to creating the universe. So here's what I want you to know. A big miracle is no more difficult for God than a small one. And in the scheme of things, feeding 5,000 plus is a small miracle. Would you agree? Eventually, the people start talking. Right Because you can't keep that a secret there's no food trucks where Where did this food come from? And these were Jewish people they're in the middle of the boondocks, and all of a sudden there's an abundance of food, and they start talking. they remember that Moses led the children of Israel into the wilderness and and they say this Jesus corrects them, but they say Moses gave us manna to eat. That's this little wafer-like food. Every morning it would appear, and they didn't know what it was. So manna literally means what is it. And so they get up one day, and they go, what's that? It's breakfast. So they're like, Moses gave us that, but, but everybody had to go out every day and get as much as they wanted just for that day. And they had to go back the next day. This guy creates so much, there's extra And instead of asking the the right question, the right question is, who is this guy that can take a a biscuit and and a goldfish and feed 20,000 people? Instead of that, they're saying, how can we get more from him? Give us some more. Give us some more. Because here's what happens in verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet. Now, notice it's a capital P. So maybe this guy's the Messiah who has come into the world. For one second, they took their, their their eyes off of the food and they put it on the prophet, but we know it was one second because look what Jesus says in verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself because they were saying, if we can make him king, we don't have to fish anymore. We don't have to worry about the rains coming and, and working to get the crops. Can you imagine if our guy can make food out of biscuits and goldfish let's make him king and we'll never have to work again and some people treat god like that if i go to church then god needs to do this or if i give to the church god needs to do this for me because then i won't have to worry about the keystone pipeline being canceled i won't have to worry about union pacific laying people off because my king is going to provide what i need give me more give me more give me more Do you know why their their focus shifted for one second and only one second? Because they got hungry again. Because food is temporary. 5,000 men, equivalent of the Roman legion, and they're thinking... If there's 5,000 of us out here in the wilderness next to Bethsaida, as we walk by Bethsaida, maybe another 5,000 would join us. We go by Capernaum, another 5,000. As we come down around Nazareth, another 5,000. By the time we get to Jerusalem, we'll have hundreds of thousands of people in our army, and we'll show those Romans who's boss. And if this guy, if if Moses was able to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, this guy's greater than Moses. We gonna, we're going to overthrow Rome today Now you need to know Jesus eventually Leads his disciples through the gates at Jerusalem At Passover but not this Passover And for a very different reason When he goes through Jesus was heading for a crucifixion He was not heading for a coronation The first time he came as the suffering servant The second time he's coming as the conquering king This time was not about being a king. So Jesus knew these people were all about, what can you give me? What can you do for me, Jesus? Give me more, give me more, give me more. You know how Jesus responded? He hightailed it up a mountain by himself to pray. Now again, you have to read a couple other uh, gospels to get this, but Matthew and Mark tell us before he goes to the mountain to pray, he goes down and, and the word they use is he compelled them to get in a boat and go back to Capernaum. He made them get in the boat. There was no option. Guys, get in the boat now. Why? Because they were in danger. And I'm not overstating this. Because the, the enemy of God, Satan, was stirring up the crowd to try to force Jesus to do something that Jesus was not supposed to do. Jesus got them out of there. Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray, to spend time with God, to make sure he was centered on God's will and not man's will. Now, eventually, we're going to look at this next week. Eventually, Jesus catches up with them. The next week is when he walked on the water, and and so we'll talk about that next week. But he catches up with them. They get to Capernaum. The next day, the crowds show up. Crowds don't impress Jesus. In fact, Jesus is about to send out the crowd. He's about to call them out, and he's about to call out people in this room and people watching online because here's what I hear more than anything in the church. Go ahead and put that up there, Kristen. I gave up on church because I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to go, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to serve, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to give, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to sit in front, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. What is the problem? Eye trouble. It's all about me. You know, I've done a sermon where I sat in a high chair and I said, this in the high chair, it's the eye chair. Feed me more, feed me more, feed me more. What can you give me? If you don't give me, I'm not coming. My kids are 26, 24, almost 24, be 24, and 21. If they're still sitting in the eye chair, we should be saying, yo, there's a problem. How come we don't do that in churches? Uh, it's just Deacon Brown. He's a Deacon? You gave him a position of responsibility? You idiot. That got Sherry laughing. She's going to fall out of chair over there. I'm serious. Men who do not qualify get put into a position of leadership. There should be sound bells going off because the gates of hell are clapping. Yes. We got another one in position of power. It's only a matter of time before we take over that church. The point Jesus is making that as long as it's about getting something out of it, you do not understand, Jesus, you do not understand the kingdom of God. So let me say it again. People who are obsessed with signs miss the Savior. And I'm going to show you from the Scripture, as long as it's about getting something out of us, we're still children racing to the door. What you got for me today, Jesus? What song are you going to give me today, Jesus? What what scripture are you going to have the preacher tell my husband so he'll get his act together? Gimme, 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 gimme. Now the crowds found out Jesus was back in Capernaum. They show up. (laughs) And they ask a question, but it's not really the question that they're they're wanting the answer to. Here's here's what it says. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when would you get here? When you're trying to use someone to get what you want, you can't be that direct because then they'll know you're selfish. So you beat around the bush. When'd you get here? That wasn't the question they wanted answered. They're just kind of taking the focus off of themselves. And what they wanted was another sign. They're about to tell us, they're about to say, give us another sign. What Jesus was ready to do was give them a sermon. The whole reason he he did the sign of feeding of the 5,000 plus the day before was so he could preach this sermon, and it is a massive call out from the Son of God. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed. Yeah, they saw the signs, but he's saying, not because the signs point to the fact that I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, and you connected the dots. No, 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 no. He says, you're here because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're here for the food. You missed the point. You're camping around, out, out around the sign. And he said, the sign points to the fact that I'm the Savior. And look what Jesus says in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils. The reality is we focus way too much attention on food that spoils. And if you look over the last seven days, If someone were on the the outside looking in at your life, they would see you bowing down and worshiping food that spoils. And I'm not talking about Bluebell. I'm talking about you worship your job, you worship the things you can buy with the money you get from your job, and you miss the Savior. It's what happens. Faith based on signs alone and not on the truth of God's Word can lead a person away because, I'm not going to take time to read this, I have it on here, but because the enemy of God, Satan, is able to perform signs and wonders. And if you want to read this for yourself, it's in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 12. It says he's going to perform all kinds of signs and deceive even the followers of God if that's possible. So, we need discernment now more than ever. Jesus says, Don't obsess on the temporary, obsess on the eternal. In our men's study, both men's studies, we're, we're looking at the same thing this week about a real man rejects passivity, a real man accepts responsibility, a real man leads courageously, and a real man invests in eternity. I want to invest in eternity. And Jesus said, It's not about your belly. Get in my belly. He says, quit thinking about lunch. So they asked him, brilliant spiritual giants that they were, what sign? How about another trick, magician? Perform for us. We just need one more. That's all we need. What sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Perform for us, magician, if you want us to bow before you. This group, had watched him do something on the shores of the Sea of Galilee that nobody in this room will ever see. He took a biscuit and a goldfish, and he fed twenty thousand people. Are saying that's not enough? Give us more. We need more. And so they say Moses brought manna from the wilderness. Give us some manna, then we'll believe. And Jesus, is like you're back on lunch. <laughs> they can't see past their stomachs. And if you read the rest of John chapter 6, you'll see that many decided to unfollow Jesus that day. Crowds. And in one day, he lost the vast majority of them. And then he turns to his disciples and says, you're not going to leave too, are you? And, and Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. One day, Jesus performs one of his greatest signs. The next day, the, the majority has gone. Once they realize there's nothing in it for them, and that following Jesus actually will cost us something, see a magician. And then there's a remnant. There's always a remnant. And I desperately want to be a part of the remnant. You read Scripture, there's always a remnant. When the Israelites walk away from God, there's a remnant. In Revelation, there's a remnant. I want to be a part of the remnant because God always works through the small, dedicated people, not the crowd. Are you just in this Christian thing for what you can get out of it? For what you can get out of him? If so, you've missed the greatest question in the world and it's who is Jesus? The reason the religious leaders wanted to kill him is because they knew Jesus was claiming to be equal with God and they said, we can't have God here because he's he's going to encroach on our territory. So let's kill him. We can't have God telling us what to do. You and I are in the presence of, of an incredible God, and we're asking him to give us silly temporary things. God, I need a wife. And God says, no, you don't. You need me. You're not enough. I need this car. I need this job. I need, I need, I need, I need. And God says, what you need is me. So Jesus thins the crowd because... It was not the consumers who changed the world. It's never been the consumers who changed the world. It's not the sign seekers who changed the world. It's the fully devoted followers of Christ who changed the world. I hope you're not in it for lunch because you're going to miss the Savior. And I know this to be true because because it is impossible to have a relationship, a meaningful relationship, with someone from whom you're only trying to get something. And the reason you're far from God is because this is you. Give me some more, Jesus, if you want me to follow you. We sing a song, even if you don't. Even if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm still going to follow. That's who Jesus is looking for. Go ahead and put that next slide up there, if you would, Krista. Here's what I hear Christians singing. Some to Jesus I will surrender. Some to him I freely give. I will sometimes love and trust him in his presence. And I occasionally live. Next one. I surrender some. I surrender some. Some to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender some. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender, I surrender, all to Thee my blessed Savior, I surrender. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to surrender all, you've reduced your Savior to a food truck with a biscuit and a goldfish that will never satisfy. He's looking for a remnant of fully devoted followers of Christ who will change the world. Will you be one of them? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace and thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And I pray you raise up an army of people who say, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Teach us what it means to be a living sacrifice, which is our acceptable service to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.